Did you know that bathing changes things? The world is made into a different place all because of bathing, right? Didn't get an amen on that one? Somebody missed their shower this morning? Now, now before you start thinking of dial or suave or anything, let me tell you a little story. Back about mm, somewhere around 250 years before Christ, there was this Greek mathematician named Archimedes. Maybe you've heard of Archimedes. But Archimedes decided he was going to take a bath one day. And what he discovered in taking his bath changed the course of science and math for all time. See, what happened was the king there, so he was in uh, area Carthage, Syracuse, ancient city there. The king was given a crown. He had taken some gold and taken it to the smith to make a crown for him. And the, he, the king, thought that maybe the metal, the goldsmith, was cheating him a little bit. He thought that maybe what was given to him as a crown wasn't actually pure gold, but maybe some other metal was involved. So he went to Archimedes. Archimedes was a pretty smart guy. Now, I could tell you a lot of stories about Archimedes and, and how he, he developed what we still use as a way to pump water from underground with the Archimedes screw. I could tell you about Archimedes' uh, defense mechanisms he put around the port city there of Carthage and, and how he saved his city from attack after attack because of math. So when you go and learn two plus two, remind you that it does make a difference. But the king came to Archimedes and said, Archimedes, I got, you've got to figure something out for me. I have this crown that is supposed to be pure gold, but I'm afraid that it's not. Can you help me figure out how to know if it's pure or not? Well, Archimedes, being a very smart man, was actually a little bit confused on how to do this. Because it wasn't like he had like a brick of gold, right? You know, you take the brick of gold and you can melt it down. It was kind of an odd shape. He couldn't take just measurements, you know, like this. If you're going to find what we'd call the volume of this book, you would measure the length times the width times the height. And you'd multiply the two. So you're looking at uh, about an inch and a half by about, mm, let's say six by about eight. So we're looking at somewhere around the volume is, I don't know, math. Around 72 cubic inches. But with an odd-shaped crown, it was a little more difficult. So Archimedes was thinking, well, maybe he needed to de-stress. I don't know what it was. Maybe he had worked up a sweat and was feeling a little stanky. So he decided he was going to take a bath. And when Archimedes got into the bath water, he realized that the further his body went into the water, the more the amount of water rose. And he figured that there was a way that he could see how much water was displaced or moved by the immersion of his own body. And he shouted, Eureka, and ran through the streets of Syracuse shouting, Eureka, which means I found it. He figured out how he could submerge the crown to figure out the purity of the gold. You know what he found out? The king had been cheated. The king had been cheated. And I know you're sitting there thinking for just a second, why in the world are you telling me about an old man's bath when we're supposed to be looking at scripture? 
Because the king was on a quest to find out the purity and we as the church must be after purity and we see it happen in Pergamum and what's going to be tested of us and how we respond to the impurity of the world and what we're going to tolerate as far as impurity. So if you've got your place, we're going to be in the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, this is the fourth in our series of churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor, as we're looking at Revelation, the triumph of Christ. If you've not been with us on Sunday morning, I do want to encourage you to go to our website, fbcfairburn.com. There's a little button there that says media. Click on that. Catch up on what you've kind of missed because there is stuff for us to all learn and embed in our heart as we walk with Christ together. But we come to this church, Pergamum. It is the fourth. We've talked about Ephesus. We talked about Sardis. Last week, we talked about the church in Smyrna. Not not Sardis. Um, We had, I am all mixed up. We did Pergamum last week and on Wednesday night. We're in Thyatira this week. We went Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and now into Thyatira to look at this church that was tolerating impurity. So if you've got your place in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. And I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God together, honoring the name of Christ as we stand in his presence, if you are able. (coughs) Jesus is speaking and he says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of light are greater than at first, but I have this against you. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her to a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, Those who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule over them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father." And I'll give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we look at your word. And God is so easy on a Sunday morning in a sanctuary, having sung hymns and songs of praise, having joined ourselves in mind, body, and heart with other believers to look at your word to hear your word and walk out of here doing nothing with your word. So God, we ask that you would do something different today. We ask that the Holy Spirit of God would give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. 
We ask you, Lord, that you would give us the motivation of heart to step into Monday different than we left Sunday so that we would see how the word of God is creating in us a greater desire to serve you in all things. But God, we ask that you would give us purity of heart, purity of mind, purity of soul, purity of being so that we could honor you And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, Thyatira. Kind of a tough place, right? Jesus doesn't have all the friendly things to say about Thyatira. Because what we find in Thyatira is that this is a church that has an issue with purity. The church at Thyatira had a purity problem. Notice what's going on in this passage of Scripture. This is one of seven letters that Jesus addresses. Now, just to kind of give you the quick overview of what we see in uh, church at Ephesus, church at Smyrna, church in Pergamum, here in Thyatira, next week in uh, Sardis, then in Philadelphia, and finally in Laodicea, is we see Jesus identify himself according to the picture that John gave in chapter one, where he sees this image of the Christ. And we're going to talk about that in just a second with what's going on with Jesus and his address to Thyatira. And then he gets, each of them get an I know statement. I know what's going on in your church is what Jesus says. And here's, I know your deeds, your love, your service, your perseverance, and how things are better now than they were before. He, he, he knows these things. And he goes from there to bringing up an issue, at least with five of the seven. In Smyrna and Philadelphia, there is no issue brought up. It's just you're in trouble and I'm here for you. But he brings out this concern. I know this. And then he calls them to repent. There's a call to repentance given to these churches because God gives his word. Christ gives his word so that we would respond. Not that we would hear and walk away, but that we would respond. So he gives this open door of repentance. And then he always makes a promise. And this happens in each of the seven churches, but keep in mind, and we've talked a little about, if you're, if you're not, if you don't got anything going on Wednesday nights, please be here at 6.30, because we're talking about these letters a little bit more in depth. We're kind of uh, give and take. We had some really good discussion this past week, some questions that came up, but here's what's happening. There, is, there are seven churches, but this all of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, is one letter that Jesus gives through the, the pen of John the Apostle, John the beloved disciple, John the one that was with Jesus, gave us the gospel of God, John, gave us 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John who was imprisoned in, uh, in uh, Patmos because he continued to preach the gospel. We have this one letter that Jesus gives. He says in chapter one, write these things to the seven churches so that you will write down the things that are, the things that have been, and the things that are to come. And so each church, even though this is addressed to Thyatira, it had already been read to the church in Ephesus. It had already been read to the church in Smyrna. It had already been read to the church in Pergamum. And then by the time Thyatira hears it, they're learning what's going on in the other churches because God wants us to see his word as being effective and fruitful for all of us. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and therefore it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that we as God's people may be equipped for every good work. And so we're looking at this and we're looking at what's going on in Thyatira and the reason we've got to talk about their purity issue is because I believe that we as a church suffer from a purity issue. We're not immune to it. Why? Why? Because we all have skin. 
Because we all have a mind. Because we all have a heart that's bent towards serving something. And too often, even though we claim allegiance to Christ, it is drawn in by the things of the world. And so that impurity kind of comes in. And and I don't want Archimedes to have to figure out in a bathtub how to test us when Jesus has already given us his word. And so we're looking at what's going on in Thyatira. And he starts off by identifying himself. In In chapter two, verse 18, he says, The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. Look at what, how Jesus describes himself. I love this vision. The eyes of flame of fire. Jesus is seeing what Thyatira wanted to hide. Jesus is looking behind the curtain. Jesus is looking at what's going on underneath. Oh man, we can get, on, we can get online. Here's, here's the good thing about the 21st century. Churches have websites And then any church can make a website or a Facebook page and make the world think based on their website or their Facebook page or their Twitter account that they are knocking it out of the park and they're the greatest, smoothest functioning, greatest church the world has ever known, right? You can make anything look good online. Brad Paisley had a song years ago. It was called Online. He was talking about how uh, online he's got this personality. He's going on these dating websites and he's six foot five and he's a former athlete. He's got a chiseled jaw and everything. But really he looks, you know, a little short round bald guy. Because online you can make yourself look anyway. But Jesus sees what's going on. He says, here I am, the son of God. Notice that with him looking behind the curtain and him seeing what Thyatira wants to hide, what Jesus is showing them is I am the true son of God. I am the Davidic king that the Jews had been waiting for, that the people have been waiting for. I am the one who alone has the authority to say to you what I'm about to say. I'm the one that can come behind and look at what you've been behind. See, it's kind of like a parent. Parents, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job specifically. We can get together, we can talk about it. But as a parent, you have a responsibility to your children. Especially if your children are walking around with, uh, you know, these things. Or iPads. You're entrusting to your child this great technology, but it is also a window. It is also a portal into all sorts of ungodliness. So as the parent, if you're paying the phone bill, if you're paying the internet bill, if you gave them the, the device, you have the responsibility and the authority to go back behind them and check what they're looking at. To see who they're friends with on social media. To see what they're following. To see what they're posting. You have the authority as the parent to do that. Teenagers, I'm sorry I just lost you as a friend, but I don't care. I love you too much to put it any other way. Jesus says, I am the son of God. I have the authority to look with these eyes that are a flame of fire. We're going to come back to the image of the flame of fire. But what it shows is this bright burning vision of Christ that there is nothing that is hidden from his view. And if that was true in Thyatira, guess what? It's true at First Baptist Fairburn. And it's not true at First Baptist Fairburn. It's not, it's not like one of those things where uh, we've got this um, extra sensory perception of Jesus. Like as soon as you walk in the door, like we've got security cameras in our buildings and everything. It's not like those security cameras you walk in and now all of a sudden Jesus can see everything that's going on in your life. He sees it when you're at home. 
He sees it when you're sitting in front of your computer. He sees it when you're at work. He sees it everywhere you are. There is nothing that escapes the all-seeing eye of Christ. We've got to remember that. Because we want to operate on the, if no one knows, I can get away with it. But Jesus always knows. And here in the church in Thyatira, there are some things going on. And Jesus says, look, I am the one who has the ability as the son of God to see beyond everything you're trying to hide. And then I want you to notice also that he says, I hear, I am here standing with feet as burnished bronze. Now, I'm going to be real with you. That's a tricky one. What are the burnished bronze? I mean, there's some commentators talked about how Thyatira was known as a metalworking city. They're kind of like the Pittsburgh of their day, right? They were still city in Asia Minor back in the day. And so <coughs> maybe he was referencing, hey, I can relate to you because I've got this bronze. And it's believed that in the city of Thyatira that bronze was first introduced by introducing copper and silver and coming up with this new metal there. And maybe that's why Jesus said that. I think it has to do with this. Jesus is establishing a foundation. What do you do with your feet? You stand. What happens if you don't have a good, feet, a good footing? You fall, right? You slip. Now, I want, you, I want you to think just a second. You're walking up a ramp. And that ramp, normally, you've got good tennis shoes on. They've got rubber soles on the bottom. And there might not be the little grippy strip things on there to help you. But because you've got a little friction, you're able to walk up the ramp no problem, Right? Now, let's just imagine that ramp was a sheet of ice. You're hoping they don't have a ring doorbell out there so they'll be posting videos of you slipping and falling and busting it for everybody to see, right? You're not going to have good footing. We don't have good footing. You slip and you fall. There's no area for you to take your ground. Jesus says, I have the sure footing because I am the son of God where I can stand on truth because I am truth and I can see what's wrong in your life. Jesus sees what Thyatira tries to hide. But not only does he see what he's trying to hide, we find that Jesus praises Thyatira for excelling in ministry. I mean, Jesus puts some pretty high marks out there for Thyatira. Look at what he, how he goes to start it off. He says, I know your deeds. Okay. Remember, Jesus is seeing everything. So he starts off by saying, I see the good things you've got going. Your love. I see your faith. I see your perseverance. He knows that things aren't good. He knows that these are people that have called upon him and they are serving in ministry. They are loving one another. Man, he's thinking, yeah, you taking this whole Acts 2.42 mentality of every day you're getting together and breaking breads and if there's a need in your community, if there's a need in your fellowship, if there's a need in your church, you love one another genuinely to make sure that that need is met. Nobody's going to bed hungry. Nobody's going to bed cold. Nobody's going to bed thirsty. You are loving and serving one another. You are living out the gospel. He said, man, look, you, man, you, you remember what the prophet Micah said. That what God requires of you is to love mercy, to, walk, to, to pursue justice, and to walk humbly with your God. You are doing that. You're doing it great. And then he, then he ramps it up a little bit. He says, I know that what you're doing now, your deeds of late, are greater than at first. Man, you jumped in full-fledged with the gospel and you started serving and loving and walking in faith and perseverance. And when people came against you, you held on tight to your faith and you continued to encourage others. You were continuing to find ways to stir one another to love and good works, just like I've showed you in the work. And you're continuing to serve and do all these great things. And even now you're doing it more than you first did. 
That's excelling in ministry. That's growing together in ministry. Not even Ephesus had that. You remember the church of Ephesus, man, look at all these great things you're doing. You were knocking it out of the park. Here, 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 and here. But it didn't say you've actually gotten better at it. It's just this is what you've been doing. They're excelling in ministry. And we can look and see so many areas, even as a church today, where we've done great things and where we've grown as a body, where we have seen our people, other people come alongside and serve alongside of us and take that mantle of leadership and take that next step because we're growing in the way we serve. And Jesus is praising the church for this. So I think it's important for us to take note. We have... New children's volunteers. We have new youth workers. We have people that are serving in places. We have people that are volunteering in the food pantry uh, now that have not been. We have people that are uh, helping out with different ministries. All of these things are taking place because as a church, in many ways, we're excelling. Does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean we got it all together and got it all figured out? Man, I wish we did. But the reality is, Jesus is pointing to this church and saying, look, all these things, you're growing in them. But then there's a but. And he says in verse 20, but I have this against you. And and church, this this is the hard thing to stomach because we want Jesus to come in and pat us on the back, right? Good job, good job, good job, good job, good job. You know, we want Jesus to walk around with a gold sticker and a thumbs up for every single one of us, shake our hand, good job, good job. But because Jesus sees everything, he sees the good and the bad. He sees what is praiseworthy and what must be confronted. And and, and before we get into what this but is all about and what everything's taking place in this passage, I, I want us to stop and ask the question, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus give them such high praise here and then lower the boom on them? Because Jesus loves his bride. Jesus loves his church. And it's not that Jesus doesn't want us to feel good about ourselves. Jesus wants us to be pure. Jesus' desire for the church is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is all about. Those he foreknew, he predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants us to walk with him in purity. And in Thyatira, Jesus calls out and confronts their impurity. And some of us have to get our big boy or big girl pants on and put up with the fact that when Jesus gets involved in our life, he's going to call out our impurity because it happened in Thyatira. It happens today. He says this, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess, but she is teaching false teaching in my church. So this stands apart from Ephesus. Over in Ephesus, man, the false teachers, you put them to the test. The false prophets that said they were, you found that they were not and you put them out. But here in Thyatira, they're tolerating it. And I'm not going to go into all the gross imagery that could be involved here, but here's where the impurity lies. This Jezebel, this false teacher is actively pursuing faithful followers of Christ with heresy. The word Jezebel, I personally do not believe that there was a lady named Jezebel in this church teaching. I I don't believe that. 
I believe that what Jesus is using is this direct reference to what happened to the people of Israel in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18 when Jezebel, a foreign woman, married Ahab, king of uh, Israel and introduced all sorts of idolatry and idolatrous practices to the people of Israel. So much so that many of them started worshiping Baal, the false god, rather than the true god. And there was that great showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Maybe you'll remember what happens uh, in 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 the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. Jezebel had just had 850 of God's true prophets, faithful prophets put to death. Either turn to be a prophet of Baal or you're going to be put to the sword. Well, Elijah's not going to have anything to do with it. He says, I tell you what, rather than put me to the sword, let's, let's have a little, let's have a little showdown out here. Let's see who's God's the real God. So let's get all these prophets of Baal out here and I'll come out here and we're going to offer a sacrifice. And whichever God takes the sacrifice, we know that's the true God, right? You remember the story? So he gets out there on the mountain. He gets out there on the side of the hill and they bring a bull and the prophets of Baal go first. He's like, you know what? Tell you what, you can, you can have first pick. We'll show you how it's going to work. You have first pick. So the prophets of Baal come out there and they prepare the bull and they prepare the altar and they put the bull on there and they pull the water on the altar and they have everything ready and they start calling out to Baal and they're cutting themselves and they're, and they're uh, mutilating themselves all in the name of Baal, this false God. And Elijah just stands back and pokes fun at him. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom and didn't realize, literally, it says that. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe Baal's using the restroom and just can't, can't come to the door right now. Nothing happens. And here comes Elijah. Tell you what, after you prepare the bull, dump all the water on it and then fill it up and dump it on there again. Hey, a third time, cover it up with water so the water is flowing everywhere. And one time he calls upon the name of the Lord God and fire comes down from heaven, takes up the burnt offering, licks up all the water, and he says, who's the real God? It was all because of the Queen Jezebel. And here Jesus says, you remember that Jezebel? Well, let me tell you about the Jezebel that's in your church now who was inviting followers of me to worship in pagan ways, to, to, to practice immorality, and I have every reason to believe from this passage of scripture that we are involving sexual immorality within the church. Can you imagine that? Oh, it's okay to practice this sexual immorality. It's okay. Just, just, just lower the standard. Don't be so uptight. Don't be so legalistic. God created all this for us to enjoy, for us to have fun. So it's okay. And he says there in this passage, not only does she exist, but he says, you tolerate this person. Can I be real with you for just a second? Tolerance does not mean what it used to. We live in a, quote, tolerant society, right? Everybody tells you you've got to be tolerant of this. What they mean is you've got to agree with me and don't disagree with me because if you do disagree with me, I don't have to agree with you, but you've got to agree with me. That's what, that's what the world means by tolerant. See, what the Bible is teaching here is that there is open immorality that no one's doing anything about. This impurity is allowing to fester. It's allowing to grow. It's allowing to take shape and it's affecting the people in the church. And Jesus says, you're allowing this to take place. You're not addressing it. You are tolerating it. And I want you to know that I am ready to do something about it because I'm sick of it. 
Jezebel, it says, was given a chance to repent. Now, it's not clear whether or not it was, you know, the pastor of the church going to, uh, going to Jezebel, the spirit of Matthew chapter 18, and bringing her fault to her and saying, this is not line up with who we are and what we believe. But it is very clear that somebody, and it might have been Christ himself, appeared and protested what was being taught and says, I refuse. See, that's what impurity does to your heart and to my heart. When we're confronted with it, we want to refuse. We're, no, no, that, that, that's... That, that's going too far. I, I, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to still live with this. We're trying to hold on because we don't want to give it up. We attach ourselves. That's what sin does to us. It, it doesn't just attach to our actions. It attaches to our heart. And when it attaches to our heart, it's harder to pull away. And so Jesus says, I gave her an opportunity to repent, verse 21, but she does not want to repent, repent of her immorality. So here's what I'm doing. I'm coming after her. Jesus, remember pictured last week, uh, Pergamum, he's got the sword drawn for Pergamum, right? Here it is, it's drawn for Jezebel, and not just Jezebel, it says, I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Jesus isn't coming after the kids, okay? The image here is those that are following her, those that have come after her teaching, those that are willingly walking in this immorality, willingly walking against Christ Jesus. He says, I'm coming after them. And they're gonna know that I'm the Lord and you're gonna know that I'm the Lord because of what takes shape. Now, I've gotta ask yourself a question. If you know there is impurity in your life before God, is it worth that risk that Christ would come after you for it? Or is it not enough that he already came after you and went to the cross on your behalf that you could walk away from that immorality and from that impurity, from that sin, saying, this is the Christ that loves me enough to die for me? Jesus is going to confront impurity, period. Every single time. But then Jesus does something. He promises authority as the reward for Thyatira. Notice he goes down here. Verse 25. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast till I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I have received authority from my father. Now, what's the appeal in that? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't really want to rule the world. I have seen what happens to people that get power hungry and want to rule the world, right? Nothing good comes out of that. I tell you, it's hard enough to keep a church of 250 happy, much less the world. I mean, come on, right? I mean, I, I, I have such great respect for people that work in customer service. Man, nobody is ever happy with anything. I don't want to be president. I don't want to be senator. I don't, I don't want to be mayor. Because, man, everybody's got an opinion about everything, right? What's he talking about? This is a promise that is true for you and for me today. One day, there is coming a day when we with Christ will rule for a thousand years on this earth. 
Because we, in the millennial reign of Christ, we'll get to that later in Revelation, we will be there with him. And we, the followers of Christ, we who have persevered, we who have held fast to the promise, we have been promised that we will have a position as the children of God here. That's big. That's really big. And the beautiful thing about that is it's not up to you, it's up to him. He's already decided it. Because he's triumphant. Because he's the victor. So what does this got to do with your church and my church? We like to talk about church in terms of community. And so we've got to look at the community aspect of who we are. Because life in Christian community demands purity. Life in our church demands and is a matter of our personal purity. For example, let me throw a really, really good one out there to you. If you were to go to, hmm, let's say, where do I want to eat lunch today? Let's say you were to go to Shane's Rib Shack, right? Shane's Rib Shack, and they've got 13 employees. I don't know how many people work at Shane's, but Shane's Rib Shack in Fairburn has 13 employees working today. And of all 13 of those, there's only one that didn't wash their hands after using the restroom. Yeah. You see where I'm going with this? The other 12 did. So it's okay, right? It's not okay. Why is it not okay? Because now your food is contaminated because of that one person. It doesn't matter if they are the one that is responsible for ringing you up or the one that's actually responsible for chopping up the barbecue before you eat it. That one person contaminated the entire thing, right? It's not any different with your heart and my heart. Because what we say here is that we, First Baptist Church of Fairburn, that we are a diverse family, a diverse, not a device, diverse family of believers, That means that we have willingly communicated to the world around us that we are accepting our role and our responsibility in this family, in this community, to have a a place here for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward, starting with us and going forward. But if I bring into this impurity, what ends up happening is it contaminates all of us and all of our public witness. And that's what happens in Thyatira. It's not the entire church that is practicing what Jezebel is teaching. It's only some of them because Jesus says to the rest of you, to those of you that aren't involved in this, I don't place any other burden on you. I'm coming after them. And so we start asking ourselves some questions about what it means to be pure before Christ. And we have to start with the very fact that when Jesus is present in your life and my life, we're going to be refined. I am refined when Jesus is present in my life. Notice the image that he gives. I am the one with the burning eyes of flame of fire. See, Archimedes had this option that he could have made, but it would have destroyed the crown. He could have taken the crown and put it to the fire and let it be melted. Because when it was melted, what would happen is the silver and the gold would separate themselves. The silver would rise to the top and the gold would sink. And he could have pulled off anything that was impure. But then the king would not have had a crown. He'd have had a molten glop of mess, right? 
See, when Jesus is present in your life and my life, we're giving him the access and authority that is rightfully his as the Messiah, the Son of God, to look into our heart, to look into our mind, to look into the motives of who we are, to say, you know what, Jesus, I need to be more like you. And if our goal as a follower of Christ is being conformed to the image of Christ, it's going to happen naturally. Unless we're too busy attaching ourselves to the ways of the world. And when we're attaching ourselves to the way of the world, what we're doing is we're taking away the place that Christ has in our life. We're not giving him the access that is rightfully his. And we're backing out into a corner. And when we do that, we're affecting Christian community. How do we affect Christian community? We don't want those that are around us to know what's going on in our life. Because rest assured, if you're hiding it, trying to hide it from Jesus, who sees it anyway, you're going to try to hide it from those that are around you. And so it's going to avoid... Bible study. It's going to avoid serving. It's going to avoid growing together. It's going to avoid building the close-knit relationships that we are to have as God's people together. Because I don't want you to know I'm struggling with that. I don't want you to know that I disobeyed God in doing this. I don't want you to know that that's part of my life. Because it's gotten too close to our heart. But see, what happens when we do build Christian community, when we do attach ourselves by the refining power of Christ Jesus, we start seeing some things that happened in Thyatira. So when I build Christian community around myself, it is, dis, it is on display in the way that we minister together. Notice what happens in Thyatira. I know your deeds. I know how you're serving, your faith, your love, your perseverance, your acts of service. Look at what's happening here. You people in the gospel are walking and growing and Jesus is exalting the good works, the good deeds. We want to put out to the city of Fairburn. We want to put out to South Atlanta. We want to put out to this nation, to this world, that the gospel is real and vibrant. So when we start serving together, we demonstrate a unified front of the gospel. No matter where we're serving. This purity is on display in the ways that we minister together. The way that we serve one another. But not just in how we minister, but how we mature together. Notice what he says here. Your deeds of late are greater than at first. See, make no mistake about what Jesus is describing here. This is a church that is following a path of discipleship. The more they love one another, the more they want to love one another. The more they serve one another, the more they want to serve one another. The more they have to persevere, the more they're drawn to persevere because of the strength that's happening around them. And so their faith in Christ is growing. Their understanding of the gospel is growing. And they're demonstrating it together. They're maturing so much so that when all of the impurity is settled, Jesus says, I don't place any burden on you. Why? Because you're already growing. You're already following this path of righteousness towards what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's purity. That's purity. He doesn't say that about the ones that are tolerating and putting up and practicing the evil. It's the purity aspect. So ultimately what that means is that purity in our church means that we don't tolerate sin. 
purity in our church, purity in my church, purity at First Baptist Church of Fairbury means that we don't put up with sin. That doesn't mean we're jerks about it. That doesn't mean that, oh, yep, yep, I saw what you posted on Facebook. I'm going to bring you out here in front of the church and make you publicly repent for your Facebook post. I saw you walking into that store with that, yep, I saw that. No. It means that when we see something come out, we, we talk about it. We address it biblically. See, over in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, it says this. It says, if you find that your brother is in sin, go to him and talk to him about his fault. Notice it says go to him. The next step, if they don't listen, is to take someone else with you. And, and if they still don't hear the word of God and hear the truth of scripture and see the fault of sin, then involve others from the church. Bring them to the church. Too often we skip step one and step two. We run to the Sunday school class. We run to three or four friends at church. We start, you don't believe what they've got going on in their life. You won't believe the sin that's involved. And what happens is the defensive wall is already built up because there's no action of love that is demonstrated. When someone, when your brother or your sister is in sin, we go to them with the love of Christ and say, this is not who we're supposed to be. Let's pray together and find a way out of it together because of what Christ has done for us. Probably should have had a stronger amen on that. But that's not what we do. We're good at the not tolerating other people's sin, right? See, purity in church means that we don't tolerate even my sin. We're, we're, we're really good in the church. We're really good at pointing everybody else's sin out. That's why most people don't like Southern Baptists, because we talk about everybody else's sin, but we want to deal with our own. But it starts with me. And just because I have sin in my life doesn't mean I'm disqualified from addressing someone else's sin. It just means that I've got to go to Christ about who I am and what Christ is doing in my life so I can walk with you out. Jesus says, take the speck out of your, the log out of your eye so you can help them with the speck. He never says, don't deal with that and don't deal with them. He says, address your heart so that you can see their heart clearer. That's what the gospel does. That's what it means to not tolerate sin, to take my sin as seriously as I take your sin so that we would walk out of sin together under the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the purity that he offers. It also means that purity, purity means that repentance is natural. <coughs> what do I mean by repentance is natural? See, if we're serious about the nature of sin, what we want more than anything is for sin to be exposed. That is not natural. The reason that dogs are called man's best friend is because we act a lot like dogs. You call a dog, it's going to tug its tail, it's going to cower, it's going to hide. You call us out on our, our sin, we're going to tuck our tail, we're going to hide. We want to be scratched behind the ears, man. We want to end, we want to end the, the, the letter to Thyatira after verse 19. Good work! boy, good boy, come on. Good boy, good boy, good boy. Now, that's what we want Jesus to do. 
But see, when we have this understanding of purity, when we have this understanding of what Christ Jesus has called us to as a people, as a, as a, as a community of faith, then we'd start saying, you know what? I want the impurity exposed. Because if it's exposed, I can address it. I can address it. I heard somebody say one time they don't like going to the doctor because every time they go to the doctor, they find out something else is wrong with them that they didn't want to know. Well, the reason it's exposed is because you can get it fixed, right? Purity remains, reminds us, a desire for purity reminds us that we are to be a repentant people. And, and when I say repentant people, most of us stop at the, well, I was saved, I was baptized, I'm okay. You're not okay. I'm not okay. Because I'm still alive. I still have human blood. I still have human flesh. I still have human emotions. I still have human desires, just like you. But a desire for purity says, you know what, Christ, refine that in me because you have all access to me. Make me more like you so that I will come into conformity with what it means to love Christ Jesus first. Because life in Christian community is a matter of purity. That's what it means to be a church member. So if you're interested in being a part of our church, um, we have a new at first coming up in about three weeks right after the service on March the 1st. Uh, we'll feed you lunch. See me after the church. We'll talk a little bit about it because it helps us see you, helps you see us so that we can walk towards Christ together. Ultimately, what this means is that my church needs me to be pure. Your church needs you to be pure. Why? Jesus says there in verse 26, nevertheless, what you have, what do you have? You have all these great things, your deeds, your love, your service, your faithfulness, your perseverance. And these things are growing. They're greater now than they were at first. He says, so hold on to what you have there. He says, hold fast. Did you realize it's a whole lot easier to hold fast when your hands are clean? It's a lot easier to hold on to something when you've got clean hands. That's not why they tell your food service people to wash their hands before they go to the bathroom. It has nothing to do with holding on to the utensils in the kitchen and everything to do with sanitary measures. A few weeks ago, I was changing the oil on Christy's van. I'm under there. Kind of makes me feel like a man when I'm able to do stuff like that, you know? I mean, be honest with you, sitting at a desk doesn't make me feel manly. But something about being under a car with a wrench, twisting that one nut that holds, that one bolt that holds the, the, the oil in the reservoir, something about just doing that just makes I feel like a man. I'm changing the oil on the car. Well, what ends up happening inevitably when you're underneath a vehicle and you're cranking that wrench around is it starts to loosen. And as it starts to loosen, the oil starts to slip out a little bit until you pull the plug completely and then it just shoots. And then what ends up happening is you get oil all over your hand. It's completely covered. 
And, and the issue with motor oil is it is by design made to reduce friction. It wants the inside of your engine, the pistons to move smoothly. It doesn't want them. You don't want your engine pistons grinding against the sides of, uh, the, 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 sides of the, uh, the bore there in the engine. You don't want that. That's not good for your engine. You want it to be as smooth as possible. So you get that stuff on your hands. And, and then you've got this next task. You've never changed oil. This is what you've got to do next. You've got to wait for all that stuff to drain. You put that plug in. Then you move around there to loosen the oil filter. Now, the majority of oil filter companies thought it was a great idea to make their oil filters as smooth metal as possible. I mean, really, really smooth so you've got a little oil on your hand and you go and you try to grab hold of that oil filter and you try to twist it when you've only got about this much space and you can't get your hand in there all the way anyway. You're trying to, trying to grip it just enough, but it's on there tight and your hand continues to slip. Fortunately, the Fram filter company decided we're going to put some rubber grip on the bottom of our filters so that when you have that slippery hand, you can still grip onto something. Because if you didn't have the oil on your hand, you could take your other hand and it's nice and clean and you can torque that thing off just exactly right. When you and I are valuing purity in our lives and seeking Christ's likeness, we're able to hold on tighter to the promise that he has because the stain of sin is not on our hands. What's on our hands is the blood of Christ, which holds us to his truth and to his promise. Which is exactly why we have to be pure. Because when our hands are dirty with sin, we struggle to get a grip on life. We struggle to get a grip on what's real, on what's true. So Jesus saying, nevertheless, you who are pure, hold fast to what you have. It evades us. And we're trying to grab the next thing and it's all fleeting. Solomon tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a fleeting vapor. It continues to go away. And so we can't find satisfaction. We can't find fulfillment. We can't find happiness because we're not dealing with the sin in our lives. We're trying to appease the symptoms of sin and we can't hold on. We need purity. And we need purity ultimately because you and I, we can't be pure without Jesus. Jesus says, I am the son of God. I am the eyes of flame of fire. I am the one that can look into your condition and do something. So if you want the clean hands, if you want the pure heart, if you want this life, it only comes through Jesus. It doesn't come from a Greek mathematician. It doesn't come from a self-help book. It doesn't come from a job. It doesn't come from a financial status. It doesn't come from a relationship. It comes from Christ. Run to him. Be pure.